0: chapter 5, we're now working our way through the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5. Stand with me if you will, and we'll be reading down to verse 7, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1-2-3-4-5-6-7. About this morning, being blessed are the merciful, which means being more than just kind. Matthew chapter 5, verse two, 1. Start reading aloud with <laughs> And seeing the multitudes, which he went up into a mountain. And when he said, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. We'll stop there. Father, we just ask you one more time, Lord, open our hearts to uh, the things that you are saying in these very short words. There's a lot of a law of commandment, Lord, it's, a, it's an instruction, it's an invitation, it's convicting, it's going to be hard. We think we're nice, Lord, compared to what we ought to be, we're failures. So Lord, I pray, especially for God's people this morning, to see the blessing of being more than just kind. Lord, may we value the fact that you were so much more than just kind to us when you reached down to save us. So bless the thoughts and the truths of your word, this one, to your people, in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. All right, as I introduce one of these studies in Beatitudes, as I said, Jesus, about 2,000 years ago, went around the villages and towns of a region called Galilee, up at the very top of the region of Israel. There he walked and spake to anyone who would listen. What did he say? He said there was a kingdom coming. He did not trust any old kingdom. It was the kingdom that had been promised throughout the Old Testament. Everybody was thrilled about it. Everything in the Old Testament said that there would come someone who would bring in a kingdom that would, that would be built on better laws, laws that, that, would, that would change the heart it would not just put pressure on the outside, but would put pressure from the inside by a new life. It was Jesus talking about this kingdom based not on an army, not based upon borders, but on transformed lives and hearts and people. Now, he first started talking about when he entered... Uh, uh, when he, when he started teaching about this kingdom, he started teaching with a, what, what we had called the Beatitudes. And so when we talk about the Beatitudes, those are all the things that said, Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And so when you talk about Beatitudes, you need to understand what are these things that are such a blessing to the Christian. They are eight truths about this thing called the kingdom of God. They are out of this world. They're not of the kingdom of this world. You can't go and move to another country and find a better kingdom than the kingdom of God. Jesus devotes three chapters in Matthew to describing what's it like in his kingdom. So eight truths about the kingdom of God, they are attitudes. That's why it's kind of nice to remember them as the attitudes or action attitudes, things that ought to be active in our life. They are eight blessings for having these kingdom attitudes. You know, there's there's something wonderful about being around somebody who has a good attitude. You're around somebody who's got a bad attitude and you want to pull away. But as, as Christians, we've been given eight critical attitudes, very important, vital attitudes, that are like light to this world. They are different than what they will normally experience unless somebody's got a kind of Guinness in their hand. And there's a great lesson. to but having these type attitudes instead of the attitudes that we pick up from the world. There are restrictions on how to live here and now. When Jesus is speaking, he's not talking about what's, going to, what's it like, going to be in heaven. It's how we should be living now. In heaven, it's going to be a blessing. In heaven, there's going to be joy. In heaven, there'll be no more sin. In heaven, it's going to be great to be pure, to to, to live without sin. But you can live that way now. Especially in your heart and in your life. So the instructions on they are not for everyone. I've said, they're, they're, if you're not born again, these are things that are for the kingdom of God. If you're not in the kingdom of God, you'll get very frustrated with these things. You'll get mad. You'll get angry. You'll just throw in the towel. Because you can't live it. Unless the Holy Spirit is inside you, living through you. So don't get frustrated when you say, well, I guess can't live it. Of course you can't live it. That's why you needed Jesus Christ. That's why you needed to be born again from the inside. An old man named Nicodemus thought he had all his eyes dotted, all his T's crossed. He thought he had everything. And Jesus said, you're not even in the kingdom of God yet. You must be born again. And once you're born again, this is the way you'll be able to live. So they're not just for everyone. I can't sit there and go to... The, the uh the four courts up there in Dublin and say, listen guys, do this toward people. Because they'll look at it and they'll go, it's pretty hard. And lastly, they're not easy to live by. You know, if it were easy, churches would be more full than a than a football stadium, amen. If it were easy to live these things This world will be a whole lot better because there are Christians here, there are people who are trying to live by this, but it is not easy to to live by these Beatitudes. So let's review. So far we've learned blessed are the poor in spirit, anybody remember why it's a blessing to be empty and have nothing when you are a Christian? When the world looks down on you and thinks that you're a waste, why is it a blessing? What does Jesus say? You're going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. The next kingdom you get is awesome. You get into the kingdom of God, you're you're guaranteed to get into the kingdom of heaven, which will be heaven on earth. So it is a blessing to be empty now, because one day I will be full. Blessed are they that mourn. Why would it be a good thing to be sad sometimes, to be grieving? What does the Bible say? Because they will get comforted. If you, if you haven't realized that one of these days, if nobody else can comfort you, God himself will wipe away your tears. So blessed are they, you say, you look at somebody and they look like a failure, look like a defeat, look like they're ruined. They may be, but you know what? They're blessed because if they're in the kingdom of God, one day they will be comforted way out of their mind. So they're blessed. Blessed are the meek. You know, the person who's held back, not that they're weak, but they would strain their strength. They, re- they don't just constantly blast back with their words. Blessed are the meek because those who don't constantly aggressively try to take over the world, one day will inherit the world. That's what Jesus promised. Then we said, blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Where we're used to hunger and thirst and lust for sin now when we hunger and thirst and, and seek righteousness, we get satisfied with righteousness. We get filled with righteousness. We get to enjoy living right. That's what we've learned so far. This morning, we're going to take a look at Blessed are they that are merciful. Now, <clears throat> blessed are they that are merciful. The meaning of blessed the meaning of blessed is one of those unique words. It just simply means someone who is happy fortunate well off well to do rich thriving successful sounds like a good advertisement amen you want to you want to be well off you want to be successful you want to be happy you want to thrive you want to you want to be fortunate well this is this is not an invitation for you to get into some um uh you know, seminar on how to make a lot of money. It's on how to be an empty failure in life and yet still blessed. How to be grease-stricken, last place kind of people. Hungry and thirsty people when everybody uh, never goes more than three or four hours without eating unless they're asleep. Compassionate people when they should be mean. Clean people even though the entire world around them is deep in muck and, and, and filth. Successful people are people who are peacemakers in a culture of war and hatred. And blessed people are those who are hated by the world. You know, um, it's good to be blessed. I, 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 I can understand why a teenager struggles with, with life because they seek the honor that's from their peers. They seek to be looked up to, they seek to be praised, they seek to be thought well of, let me tell you, that only lasts for a little while. And if you ever try to go a different path, they will come down on you like a load of bricks. But when you seek to be blessed by God, it, ne- it, 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 it never ends, it just gets better, or as we used to say where I was growing up, it usually gets gooder and gooder. So I want to be blessed. And so Jesus starts off with talking about being blessed. And he says, you know what, there are some people that God blesses above others. And those are people who are merciful. So I want to start off and let you understand mercy is normally, it means kindness. But it is more than just being nice or being kind to someone. Mercy means being compassionate, tender, and kind towards someone who is unworthy of kindness. Somebody said this, mercy is not giving you what you deserve. (laughs) Holding back. And that's a pretty good definition. But just holding back on wanting to punch somebody is really not mercy. (laughs) Not the kind of mercy that Jesus is speaking of. Jesus is a proactive, is speaking about a proactive attitude towards people and action towards people where you have compassion on them. To have compassion... And show love and tenderness towards someone or something that does not deserve it. Because the opposite of mercy is cruelty, harshness, just being mean, severe or unkind, like your brother is normally, right? Right? Yeah. What does it mean to be merciful? It is the balancing side of the previous attitude. The previous attitude is, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Holiness! well you better balance that out and no mercy or else you're going to want to kill everybody around you. you know you took my parking space you know die you know okay be careful, okay? Because Jesus balances out it is right to want to be right. it is right to want to be clean and to be, be right with God and to be godly. but boy, do you need to have some mercy too, amen? I know a lot of people claim to be Christians who spend their life being critical. I don't know what happened in their life, but all they see is problems. They see everybody else wrong. You know, the Pharisees were good at that. That's very wrong, a way to live. It's wrong to only be a judge of other people. You do not know what people are going through. You don't know what their hearts are are going through. That's why you do not need to sit and watch television and watch the news all the time because the news media is not even doing any research anymore. They're giving you opinions and making you make judgments without knowing all the facts and that making you think they know what they're talking about. Christians are way too quick to just judge. Where's so and so? I haven't seen them in two weeks. I bet I know why they're not here. But it's also just as wrong to be only compassionate. Both have to go together in a Christian's life. Numbers, you're in Matthew, Genesis, Exodus, Viticus, Numbers, fourth book in the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. Did you know God has both holiness and mercy? It's part of his character. Numbers, chapter 14, and verse 18. He starts off and he says, The Lord is long-suffering and of great, there's our word, mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. There's a comma there, (laughs) which means, keep reading. And by no means clearing the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers, even upon the children unto the third and the fourth generation." He's got both mercy and judgment, both compassion and righteousness. Now, compassion, I want to say, is not the rejection of the righteousness of God's laws. As a matter of fact, it's actually the fulfillment of it. This is really important. You're in numbers. Toward the end of the Old Testament, just before Matthew, is a little book called Micah. Jonah, Micah, Nahum. Find Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. Micah 6, 8. Micah 6, 8 says... Some of you haven't found Micah in a year. How about, <laughs> how about asking for help? It's just before Matthew. Go back left and just keep going till you find it. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. You with me? I'm glad to hear pages flipping. Uh, Micah 6 and verse 8. Boy, I have to take you back into the Old Testament more often. This is a... <laughs> to the book of Hesitations. Uh, no, no, sorry. <laughs> Micah 6, 8. Watch it. He has showed thee, O man, what is good. Let's see what's good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do... What's the first one? And to love... Wow. To do right and yet to also love mercy and to walk humbly with thy god. Wow, it's actually part of the law. Part of the Old Testament is to do right, to love people when they don't right, and to just walk humbly with thy god because you're not right. Now let's go to another one. Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23, verse 23. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, what's the next word? All right, watch how they were out of balance. It says this: for ye pay tithe, one tenth of mint. What's mint? Not the stuff you put in your mouth. What's mint? It's an herb. He says, you take, when when you grow some herb in your back garden and you get all of that mint leaf together, you take one-tenth and set it aside and give that to the temple. You tithe mint and anise and cumin, all three are herbs, and yet have omitted the weightier matters of the law. Look what he says, judgment. That's important. What's the next one? Mercy. And what's the next one? Faith. These ought you to have done and not leave the other have done. Yes, it's okay. It is right to tithe. Whenever you get a gift, any kind of increase, anytime you get money, anytime you get a blessing, make sure you give it back to God. But don't forget judgment, mercy, and faith. So mercy is part of the law. As a matter of fact, it's weightier part of the law. Now there are lots of examples throughout the Bible of people showing mercy. Do you remember Pharaoh's daughter? And here's a a condemned baby of a cursed nation in the nation of Egypt. Egypt by government rule ordered the post-birth abortion of children. And so When when this baby in a little basket is floating down the river, Pharaoh's daughter, Pharaoh's daughter, she should call for its immediate execution. I didn't want to say execution, but slaughter. I mean, it is a slaughter. Just kill the baby. Instead, what did she have? Compassion. Go to Exodus. I'll show you this. Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. Verse 6, Exodus 2 and verse 6. And when she had opened it, again, this box has a little whimpering child in it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And she had what? She had mercy. She had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews. She knew exactly What this represented, she knew exactly that this baby was a threat to her uncle's kingdom. She was completely aware of what she was doing, but she couldn't do it. She couldn't kill this baby. She had compassion on it. Thank God for women who still are compassionate toward children. There's another example of great compassion. It's found in Luke chapter 10 of a Samaritan. You can remember how Samaritans were treated by the Jews. The Jews were, at that time and through a lot of their history, they are very racist. They were very anti-anybody that was not a Jew. Folks, you and I would be called dogs, all right? We're Gentile dogs to the Jews, and the Samaritans, they were even half-breed dogs to a Jew. So the Samaritan knew what this Jew thought of him. This Samaritan knew what this Jew would do if he were in the same place. But instead of the Samaritan treating this Jew like that Jew would have treated him, he had compassion on him. Your Bible is filled with opposites of what you would expect to happen. He showed kindness toward a hateful, racist Jew. But you know the entire life of Jesus Christ is one of just constant mercy? He was walking with his disciples. There was a group of, of uh, uh, lepers off in the distance crying out, Have mercy on us! Have mercy on us! He walked up and he said, What would you like? And they said, That we'd be healed. And he reached out and he touched a leper. Now for somebody, you and I, you probably have... A, 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 a wife, or a husband, or a mom, or a dad, or a brother. You wouldn't want to be hugged by your brother, maybe. But in almost all of our homes, we have hugging, we have touching, we have um, interaction. But this, these men had not been touched because of their leprosy. They had been quarantined. They had known no kindness. And Jesus touched one of them and said, be thou whole. Jesus had compassion his entire life. He In compassion, on a demon-possessed man Here's a man cutting himself, throwing himself into uh, another one, throwing himself into the fire, trying to drown himself into the water. And each time, people had tried to do stuff and nothing could be done, and Jesus came up and said, I gotta fix him. You know, there's some things that just look impossible to you and me, Jesus says, I'll have compassion. How about an adulteress? Caught in the very act, thrown at his feet. What do we do with her, Jesus? She sat down and wrote on the ground. We don't know what he wrote. Some ideas are, he probably wrote, where's the man? But everybody's picking up stones saying, give us the word. This is justice, this is righteousness. The law declares an adulteress should die. And Jesus said, okay, if you're qualified, Throw the first stone. If you have no sin, go right ahead. And they drop their stones and all walk away. You know what? Jesus, who was qualified, Jesus, who was righteous, walked up to her and says, Go home now. You're forgiven. Go and sin no more. He had compassion on people that we would never imagine should deserve compassion. You know what? God, go to Lamentations. You know what? God. The history of God's relationship, you find Jeremiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, is right after the book of, Lam- of Jeremiah, the entire history from creation is filled with God having mercy towards all people. Jer- uh, Jeremiah then comes Lamentations chapter 3, Lamentations chapter 3 verse 22, you ought to mark these verses. Lamentations, chapter 3 and verse 22 in your Bible. It is of the Lord's what? Here's that mercy again. It is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed because his compassions fail not. They never dim. They never alter. They never go up and down. They are what? What? New every morning great is thy, talking to God, thy faithfulness. You know, God was very merciful towards wicked Lot. Lot had the best uh, uncle. You could ever imagine he had Abraham for an uncle. He was able to learn so much about walk with God and how to live right and and, and do right how to raise his family, but instead his eyes were on Sodom, instead his eyes were on making money, instead his eyes were on selling his soul if he could just get ahead. So down he moved to Sodom, there he lived, he lost his kids, he lost his family, and you know what God did? God went, we better get him out of there. God had mercy on Lot, he sent two angels in there, in the midst of that wicked uh, city, Called Sodom, and those angels says we cannot bring judgment till we get you out of here. That's mercy. Lot should have just been burnt for for breakfast, but God had mercy on him. God had mercy on Isaac. How many of you feel like you need mercy because you're 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 89 years old and you don't have a wife? Well, let me tell you, Isaac. Instead of panicking, Isaac trusted the mercy of God that that God would still take care of him. It is of the Lord's mercies that we get taken care of instead of judged, instead of condemned. Out of mercy, God directed Abraham's servant to a beautiful bride that that wanted to come home and marry somebody she'd never met before. They didn't even have the internet. She had to fall in love with somebody at, at first sight, no questions asked. That's the mercy of God, amen. The fact that your wife knew you before you got married and still loved you is even more of a miracle. But here's mercy, amen. How about Jacob? Jacob, all his life, man, up until the time he got converted, he's sitting there, a wicked, carnal, selfish man, doing everything just for himself, and God took care of him when God should have judged him. You know the reason why you're still breathing? The mercy of God. There's more. You know, God showed mercy towards Joseph. When his brothers wanted him dead, God said, I'll use that. Then when he's down in prison and everything's against him, God says, ah, I'll use that. And then his own brothers show up. He's been raised up and he's made second in command of of Egypt. And his own brothers and and, 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 um, Joseph could call for their execution. And God says, "Hey, remember how kind I've been to you, Joseph?" And Joseph had compassion on his brothers and forgave them. You know, your Bible is filled with this concept of mercy. Luke chapter 6 now. Luke chapter 6. <clears throat> Luke chapter 6 and verse 36. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful." Evidently, we we miss all the mercy in the Old Testament when we learn those Bible lessons. We kind of overlook all of it, and we shouldn't. Now, showing mercy is super important. I want to give you a story I read that kindness is very powerful. In her memoir about a journey from being a committed lesbian to becoming a born-again Christian, a woman named Rosaria, that's her her, uh, picture there, Rosaria Butterfield, she says that as a non-Christian her impression of born-again Christians was that they were poor thinkers, judgmental, scornful, and afraid of diversity. So she published a critique of evangelical Christians in a local newspaper, and she received an enormous number of polarized responses. So she got two boxes, one on each corner of her desk, and she sorted the hate mail into one and fan mail into the other. And then she received a two-page letter from a local pastor. She says, it was kind, and it was an inquiring letter. It had warmth and civility to it, in addition to its probing questions, in addition to his probing questions. She couldn't figure out which box to put it in. So it sat on her desk for a week. It was the kindest letter of opposition that I had ever received. Its tone demonstrated that the writer wasn't wasn't against her specifically. He did not agree with her lifestyle, but this pastor asked her some very powerful questions and showed a very different kind of reaction to her than she was used to. Eventually, she got the nerve to contact the pastor and she became friends with him and his wife. They talked with me in a way that didn't make me feel erased. That's what she said. Their friendship was an important part of her journey to faith. She has an earned PhD from Ohio State University in English Literature. She has served in the English Department and Women's Studies program also at Syracuse University in New York. She is now the wife of a pastor and she's a homeschooling mother. I think mercy is a very powerful power on the human heart. Nobody needs to praise the lifestyle and say, it's okay, no, but having a bit of mercy and having a bit of respect and talk and trying to win them to Christ can make a huge difference. We need to understand just how valuable mercy is and how vital it is to have mercy from God and have mercy for people that hurt us. Did you know 290 times Mercy is praised in the Old Testament. 290 times it says, The Lord is merciful. Blessed be the Lord for his mercy. Over 290 times. That's three times more than grace or graciousness appears. Holiness, righteousness, godliness appears 1,102 times. Our God is holy. But mercy is needed in relationships as well. So we need to value. Mercy by understanding where it's placed. By the way, let me say this. God's mercy is only understood when we see it in, the relation, in, in, in relationship to God's righteousness. Go to 2 Chronicles. Some of you are already cursing me over and over. 2 Chronicles, chapter 20. Second Chronicles, chapter 20 and verse 21. Not Second Corinthians, Second Chronicles. It's before Psalms. All right, <laughs> go to Psalms and then go left, middle of your Bible. Second Chronicles chapter twenty. We'll wait. Second Chronicles chapter twenty and verse twenty-one. Mercy means nothing unless God's holiness and righteousness is feared and respected. Look at 2 Chronicles 20, 21. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, and that should praise the beauty of? Okay. As they went out before the army and to say, praise the Lord for His holiness. No, now praise Him for the mercy, for His mercy endureth forever, so you got both sides there and you really respect mercy when you when you when when you respect holiness. Most everywhere Jesus went, you know what people cried out for? They didn't say, oh powerful Jesus, they didn't say that, what did they say? Have mercy on us. They depended upon Jesus's mercy, not upon his power. So, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, Jesus is promising that God will have compassion, watch this, on those that show compassion to people that don't deserve it. That is the issue here. Because being merciful is great when God is the one being merciful. But God says, I'm not going to have mercy towards you, Craig, until you learn to have mercy towards others. What a statement. So, let me balance this out and say there is a time for justice and righteousness to be held to, and you're not showing any mercy. When would that be? Well, when it's sin in your own life. We're too nice on ourselves, aren't we, when we deal with our sin. <laughs> too much mercy, folks. Oh, I failed again. <sighs> be comforted, Ledbetter. Get over it. It's all right. That's not a time to show mercy. Would you agree? We expect so little of ourselves. We should be very strict on ourselves and very merciful toward others. Show no mercy in sin towards your life. Secondly, show no mercy in towards evildoers. Let me be honest with you, as a bible leaving Christian, I will always call out liars and frauds and fakers. I'm talking about politicians. (coughs) and pedophiles, and drug dealers, and pornographic people, and hypocrites. That does not mean that I don't love them as eternal souls. But I will expose sin. Somebody tries to rape your daughter or break into your home, you should show no mercy. Amen. People think Christians are stupid. There are times when you act with swift, decisive actions to protect your family and not the attacker. Amen. Oh, I don't want to upset him. God does not say that you should go easy on everyone like modern judges do. Modern judges, they have people stand before them 36 times for offenses for joyriding, for stealing, for for mugging and they go don't do it again. That is not right. So little time, jail time for most Did you know in Ireland if you premeditated murder somebody, they may put 30 years on your on your crime and say you're going to go to jail for 30 years. You're out in 7. That's not mercy, that is injustice, and that treats, that treats the victims with such disrespect. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter five. 1 Corinthians chapter five. Especially in a church. You've got open sin in a church, there's no time for mercy, folks. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, it is reported commonly. Now, Paul is writing this weeping. Paul is writing this grieving, and he's upset. Look what he says. It is reported commonly. It's well known that there is fornication, which is sexual sin amongst, among you. And such fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should now have his father's wife. Are ye puffed? And ye are puffed up, You are proud, and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily as absent in body, but I am present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together, and my spirit there with you, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one under mercy. Is that what he says? No. Turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that he dies. You don't kill him. You don't beat him. You just, let, you just kick him out and let the devil have him that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. He's talking about a Christian that is living and he's, he's, he's with his mother, his father's wife, his mother-in-law. He says, get him out of there. Your glory, in verse 6, is not good. Know you not that when you allow something like that, a little leaven, leaveneth the whole lump. What's he calling for? No mercy. No mercy. Amen. Go back to Luke chapter 10. Over in America, it's always in America, but it's over in England as well, just not as well publicized. There are religious ministers of all kinds of religious faiths going up to these abortion clinics, and they'll do it here. You will see charlatans stand in front of the abortion clinics and say, God welcomes you, and say that you you are not in trouble with God. This is your decision. This is fine, and that is an abomination. There ought to be one voice, it ought to be the voice of the Bible, and that is its murder. But you know where that stuff came from? You know where religious charlatans get the courage to stand up for abortion clinics? They did it when they started to stand up for homosexuality, and they did it when they started to have compassion on the transvest transgender people. And they started to have you listen, there is a time where you say it's wrong. We love people, but we've got to expose sin. Do you understand? Don't buy this idea, we've got to have compassion, just compassion on everybody. You've got to have compassion, but you need to know a line. Amen. Luke chapter 10, verse 33. I talked about it, but I want you to see a way of life. Ten thirty-three. <clears throat> but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, where this man, this Jew, had been beaten up and was left half dead. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him. He bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine on his enemy. And he set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of his enemy. Verse 35, And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, which was two days' wages. And he gave him to the host of the inn and said unto him, Take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Now, which of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he, this scribe said, he that showed mercy to him, then said Jesus unto him, go and do thou likewise. What's he saying? We need to live the same way as that Samaritan. The question is, all right, So, what happens to unmerciful Christians? They will not experience God's mercy when they need it most. Get that. If you have, if you're in the kingdom of God, you're saved, you're born again, but your attitude is judgmental and not compassionate. Your, your attitude is just angry at everybody instead of overlooking a lot of stuff that's against you. I'm not, I, listen, I'm not telling you that you've got to approve of anybody's sin, but you've got to get along with people and you've got to have compassion on people. You have no idea what's going what they're going through. Because if you don't learn how to have compassion and mercy on others, when you need it, God will say, you ain't getting it. Do you get that? You will not experience the blessedness, this blessedness in the kingdom of God. You'll end up miserable, guaranteed. And you'll only grow harder and harder. You can't escape from the consequence of this process because this is a spiritual law. You will either become more merciful or you will become more cruel you cannot ride that center line for very long hmm. some final thoughts how do we develop more mercy well first thing you need to do is you need to seek god's mercy yourself it's found in his son see one day it's going to be too late if you don't find god's mercy there will be none for you Go to Luke chapter 16, you're in chapter 10, look at Luke chapter 16. Verse 19 says this, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen, he fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. Right at his gate, this rich man, when the gate was open, he walked out or rode out. He could see that beggar there every day. He was desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments. Boy, he seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom, and he cried, and he said, Father Abraham, have what now? Have mercy on me! I wonder if the rich man ever heard those words out of that beggar's mouth. Have mercy on me, dear sir! Have mercy, have compassion, dear sir! Never heard it. He cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus. I know Lazarus. I know him. <laughs> hey, Lazarus, you remember me. <laughs> look, look, I'm over here. That he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in his flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receive thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and thou art tor- tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass. There are plenty of people who would have great compassion on you if they could. They cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from you from thence. One day, if you don't seek God's mercy, there will be none for you. If you lack mercy in your treatment of others, it is probably because you do not realize yet how merciful God has been to you. You know what God wants? He says, I don't want sacrifice. I don't want religious duties. I don't want ceremonies. He said, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Isn't that what he said? Secondly, practice the presence of God. You know, when you really spend time in the Bible and not just read words, but walk in the shoes, take time to listen to the words. I enjoy reading my Bible out loud. You know why? It keeps me awake. Number two, it actually sounds like a conversation. Number three, I learn more, I slow down, I'm not trying to get through the thing. And when I do that, and especially when I encounter God, and you, and you see his power, and you see his mercy, and you realize he has that towards me. It'll, it'll, it, it breaks you, it humbles you. Practice the presence of God. Too many people practice the presence of their idol. They practice the presence, being in the presence of a genie. If you are ever spending time with God, you will be on your face. You will not make demands of God. You will have no expectations of God. You will only just say, Thank you for not destroying me. Thirdly, see other people like Jesus does. Be careful with the holier than thou. Galatians 6 1 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. What's he saying? Be careful when somebody else falls and you haven't fallen yet. Restore them, considering you could be next. See the distress in somebody's life instead of blame and cause. Oh, I know why you're in that situation. That's what they did to Job, remember? See the value of the person who needs mercy instead of the cost it might be to you. See them as a priority instead of the burden. Matthew 9, go back to the left. Matthew chapter 9 in verse 36. Matthew 9, 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. So see people like Jesus does, not like your enemy. Do loads of kind things for people. You know, God does. Make it a priority to start showing mercy and kindness and compassion without preference on everyone. Even though most will never deserve it and most will never appreciate it. Mercy is not something that you give because you're praised for it. Mercy, compassion on somebody who will never appreciate it is rewarded by God. Remember the ten lepers? Only one of them came back and said, thank you. Say something nice, encouraging to people, especially your husband, your wife, your family. Say something nice. That's, see, yeah, but you don't know what they did. Say something nice anyway. That's merciful. Do something that just benefits someone else that doesn't deserve you being nice. That is mercy. We think mercy is putting a little bit of money in a troker box. We think mercy is when we set some money on first per- person who's homeless. We think mercy, that's not mercy, that's convenience. That's taking care, assuaging your guilt. Mercy is when somebody has so hurt you, and you say something nice back. Ow. Do loads of nice things for people. You know, the more you do it, the more you'll do it. You'll, you'll get in the habit of it. And I'll, be, I'll guarantee you three things. You can write these down, take them to the bank. Number one, you will be abused. <laughs> You'll be taken advantage of. People will go, gimme, gimme, gimme. And all you're doing is you're trying to be kind. I guarantee you, people will take advantage of you when you are nice to them. Secondly, you, by the grace of God, will become happy. I guarantee you, when you learn to be a blessing and a blesser, and kind and compassionate on those who do not deserve it and never care to pay back, you will end up going, but I'm happy. I'm well off. You know, 2 Samuel 22 says, with the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. And with the upright man, thou wilt show thyself upright. That's how you will treat me. With the pure, thou shalt show thyself pure. But with the froward, thou wilt show thyself unsavory, which means a bad taste in your mouth. Froward is someone who is uh, ungovernable or disobedient to God. So the person who's rebellious and won't do, now when God says be merciful and we won't be merciful, God says, then it's going to taste bad. The third thing that is true is you will experience mercy yourself. Especially when you need it most, which is probably every day. Christian, you are in the kingdom of God now. You ever think about that? I'm in the kingdom of God. So live like it. Show mercy toward everyone around you, treating them better than they deserve. And you'll start seeing God treating you better than you deserve. Now, maybe none of that, oh, there we are. Maybe none of that is interesting to, any of, to some of you, but it's probably because you've not been born again yet. It's the only explanation. That thrills me. Matthew chapter 5 overwhelms me. Best message series I have ever studied for has been these eight concepts. I have just been thrilled at how little I live them. So, how can you be thrilled at how little? Because, because I look forward to the blessing of being in all of those attitudes. So far, I've been blessed. And it doesn't interest you, maybe you're still trusting your own righteousness, your own goodness, your own ways of thinking and acting. Let me tell you, nobody beats Jesus Christ. Nobody beats kingdom living. And your own ways and your own righteousness will fail you. It's guaranteed. The Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. And if you have not experienced the mercy of God now, you will have none then. You need the mercy of God, you can cry out for it right now. I I didn't find anybody in my Bible who cried out for mercy, and they didn't get it. Everyone who cried out, Lord, have mercy, Jesus always gave it to them. Let's stand, let's bow in prayer. Think for a minute. Before we do anything, with your heads bowed your eyes closed, think about where God has had mercy on you when he should have exposed you and ruined you. And yet he gave you another chance. He was kind to you. He's had compassion on you when you were in such sinful situations. Has God been merciful to you and me? 100%, yes, 110%. All right, here's the challenge. Jesus said, blessed are you when you are merciful. Here's a challenge. This week, somebody's going to say something cross you. Activate that old flesh, and Jesus is going to remind you, Hey, show mercy. <laughs> Do it, Heavenly Father. We take a moment. I am 50, almost 56 years old, all of my life. Oh, even when I was unsaved, you had mercy on me. I should be dead. and you were very kind. You gave me chance after chance. You gave me good parents. You were so merciful to send a woman with the gospel at a coffee shop to witness to me and put up with my mockery and to compel me to come and hear the gospel. You were so merciful to give me time to process it and understand it and then respond to it. You're very merciful to me to call me into the ministry. You were so merciful to, to get me up to a Bible college where, Lord, you, you, you gave me my wife, and now you give me children and grandchildren. You have shown nothing but mercy toward me. And I'm a stinking rebel, arguing about whether I should show mercy toward others. Hard-hearted. Lord, please forgive me. Please forgive all of us, God. Help us to experience that blessing of being merciful, just like you are. In Jesus' name, amen.